I think we could all attest with that song that there was someone that gave on our behalf. They gave a witness for us. Uh, I've got several people in my life that uh, I want to thank them when I get to heaven because they're with the Lord now. But uh, they planted many seeds on my behalf, sharing Christ every time they had an opportunity with me. And uh, guess what? (laughs) I'm saved and I'm going to heaven because they took the time to give. So all of us can attest to that. There's a song in our old red hymnal that uh, is going to go along with the message. Uh, It's called, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Uh, That song kind of goes like this. And y'all don't run out when I start singing, please. (laughs) But the first verse says, Tell me the story of Jesus. Write every word on my heart. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. I'm here to tell you, I love to tell the story of Jesus. It never gets old. Amen. Now there's those out there that say, oh, y'all always preach the cross. That's all we can preach. That's the gospel. We've been commanded to preach about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's the gospel. For God so loved the world, Brother Cyril, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm thankful that Jesus went to the cross and he took the penalty of my sin and your sin and literally because of his atoning death there, Forgiveness is offered. Guilt is taken away and eternal life is given to all who come to him by faith. Nothing wrong with that. And I know all of you have heard the story of the cross, his crucifixion, and, and that story never gets old. I, I guarantee you, at least once or twice a month, I go to the crucifixion. And I want it always in my brain of what he did for me. But what we sometimes leave out is, yes, it was a crucifixion where the penalty for the sins of the world was paid in full. But we leave out the suffering part. Yes, we know he suffered. They nailed him to the cross. But it's the suffering. You know, after... Pilate declared him guilty, although he wasn't, was he? He was scourged by a cat of nine tails. And beloved, it's not pretty because it had bone, sometimes glass, sometimes rock. And when it would hit the back of a person, it would rip the flesh. Well, the Bible tells us, Isaiah says, that because of that beating that he took for us, that he was unrecognizable. When they were done with him at the scourging, you didn't 
know if he was a man or what. I mean, that's how bad it was. But that was not the end of his suffering. You say, well, of course, preacher, he had to go to the cross. No, there was more suffering to come. That's what I want to speak about this morning. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And if you would stand. Matthew chapter 27. I want to begin with verse 26. This is what God's word declares. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then the soldiers of the governor, speaking of Pilate, took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, and put his own raiment on him. And me to share your word. Bless your word this morning as we break the bread of life. Lord, give me the words to say. Feed your people. Let me preach with boldness and authority your truths. Father, open our hearts. Open our eyes to receive your word this morning. And Father, I don't know who's saved here and who's not, but you do. I just pray, Father, that if there's those amongst us that doesn't know Christ and the free pardon of sin, that today would be that day that the Holy Spirit convicts and compels them to come to kneel at the foot of the cross and receive Jesus before it's too late. Lord, thank you for those that have come. Thank you for our members. Thank you for our guests and visitors. And Lord, you know the needs of our people. Lord, we just pray that they'll be meet, met according to your will. And Lord, prayer requests, we bring them before you. Ask that you intercede. We love you. And we praise you and we thank you for this time. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray this morning. Amen. Notice it says in verse 26 that after he had been scourged that they released Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And let me just say this, uh, if you'll... Read ahead in chapter 27, you'll find out that Barabbas was a criminal. He was guilty for his crimes, but he was set free, and Jesus, they condemned, an innocent man. But before we go any further, understand that is a picture of what Jesus did for us. You see, we were criminals. We were guilty of our crimes, the crime of sin. And because of Jesus dying on the cross, we have been set free. We have been released from that bondage, from the guilt. We've been freed from sin. What a Savior. But again, 
Jesus had to pay the price. So now they bring him in the next verse. Verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. Now, the common hall was an outer court in the dwelling of the governor, their pilot's dwelling. It was an outer court, and the Bible says they, they took him there. And the outer hall, by the way, in the Greek is called praetorium. And that's what it means. It's an outer court. Now, I don't know how big it was, but it was pretty good size because the Bible says that all of the soldiers were commanded to gather there and to watch and witness further humiliation for our Savior. You see, the Romans and the Jews weren't satisfied that Jesus had been scourged. They weren't satisfied that he was going to eventually die on the cross for our sins. No, no, no. Now they wanted to cause him shame and humiliation. That's the whole purpose. Now, usually a squadron of Roman soldiers was about 600. That ain't counting the palace guard that was there that would protect Pilate wherever he went. So that was quite a group there that was around Jesus when he was in the praetorium. Think about that for a second. But again... Why were they there? To cause him pain and humiliation. You know, times haven't changed in 2,000 years. You see, society still wants to cause Jesus shame. They still want to cause him pain. You see, they mock him. They spit upon him. They hate his very name. Doesn't that break your heart? Because my Bible tells me, even after all of this, as he's on the cross, dying for our sins, he prays to the Father that he would forgive everyone. It's amazing to me. That is what I call grace. Amen? That's what I call grace. But notice what it says. And he gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. Again, over 600. And they surround him in the praetorium, the outer court. And this is what they do. And they stripped him. And put on him a scarlet robe. You see, scarlet was the color of royalty. You say, oh, well, they were recognizing him as the king, no, they were making fun. They were dehumanizing him. They were shaming him. You see, the reason they took that off and they put that robe, that scarlet robe upon him, was to pretty much implicate, yeah, you say he is the king of the Jews. Again, they did it to shame him. But what the Roman soldiers didn't quite understand, by putting that garment, that robe of scarlet around him, they were signifying what would take place after Jesus died on the cross 
when Jesus told Isaiah 750 years before Jesus went to the cross, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Understand. They thought they were mocking him. And they were. But God always has the final say in every matter. Remember that. We could get ourselves out of a lot of trouble if we would just remember. God has the final say. His will is going to be done. That's like this war over in uh, Ukraine. Listen, God's in control. I'm not worried about a Russian attack over here or a nuclear bomb. Why? Because God's sovereign and he has a plan that is going to go according to his will. So don't worry about it, but do pray for those people. It would be smart if we would all put ourselves in their place. They're very brave people. What if it was over here? And don't say, oh, I'll never happen. It can happen, and if we don't get our act together, it's going to happen. But it won't just be Russia. I can see Iran throwing in with Russia. I can see China throwing in with Russia. But listen to me. My God is greater. He has more power than all of the nuclear weapons combined in the world. I don't worry. And if they're going to shoot one, I was telling my granddaughter. She was talking about that Friday. I guess the kids kind of spooked in school about nuclear. Russia's supposed to attack with nuclear warheads. And I told her. You know what, if they do, I hope that thing hits me right between the eyes. Just let it hit me between the eyes. Listen, boom, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And I ain't going to feel nothing either. Just dust. A lot of it, shut up. Notice with me. Scarlet robe. Aren't you thankful for his sacrifice? It means when we come by faith to Christ, our sins are washed away. Mm. Can't beat it. Better than biscuits and gravy. Amen? Notice. And when they plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. There's a crown of thorns over there on that cross. They plated it. And understand, he's been beaten with a cat of nine tails. His flesh on his back is like hamburger meat. It is ripped. It was bad enough that they had to take his robe off and put the scarlet one on. Now, to add insult to injury, they take that crown of thorns and they 
place it on his head. And listen to me, they didn't just set it on the very top. No, they drove it into his flesh. And he was already still probably bleeding from the cat of nine tails. Now blood is running down his face to the rest of his body where he's been bleeding. Again, the Romans didn't understand. By placing that crown of thorns upon the Savior's brow, his head, they didn't know that it was signifying that thorns represent the curse of sin in the garden. And by placing that crown upon his head, Jesus was going to die and deliver us from that curse. What a picture and what a Savior. But the Romans thought, oh, we're going to add some more insult to his injury and mock him. And they drove that crown upon his head. And then the Bible says, and they put a reed in his right hand. You see, a sovereign king always had a scepter because it pictured and represented his authority and his sovereignty. Well, they take a reed and place it in his hand, mocking him. But understand. In fact, don't take my word. Let's read it together. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 for a second. Hebrews chapter 1. Well, you boys are pretty good. Hmm? They are smart. Come on, Jonathan. There you go. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 8 with me. This is God the Father speaking. And he says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Understand the Romans placed a reed in his hand as a scepter, mocking him as being a sovereign king. But understand one day, Jesus is coming back and he is going to set up his kingdom. And when he comes back, he won't be ruling with a reed in his hand, but he will have the scepter of righteousness, and he will be ruling with a rod of iron. Amen. Praise God for that. And again, they thought, oh, we're just going to give it all to him. We're going to make him wish he were dead. No, no. So they put the reed in his right hand and noticed and they bowed the knee before him. Oh, preacher! 
coming around. They're bowing before him. No, listen, they're mocking him. But understand, Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 10, that every knee shall bow of things in heaven and on earth and things under the earth. Those Romans that were mistreating our Savior and humiliating Him and mocking Him by bowing one day, they're going to bow on bended knee and they are going to recognize who He is. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And then the Bible says, And they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. As I said, he is king. But it's just not the Jews that he's king over. He's king over all. All. Turn over. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19 for a second. I want to share something with you. Hail, King of the Jews, if they are on bended knee, mocking the only begotten Son of God. But there's coming a time in the future. And according to John in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11, this is what he said. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Beloved, that will take place. Amen. That's in the future. You say, well, it could be a thousand years. It could be. Or it could be one day. It could be before we say amen and leave the house of God this morning. He is one of these days coming back for his church. I believe that with all my heart. If I didn't, I wouldn't be up here at all before you. I know he's the Savior. I know he saves. And he has promised to take us to heaven, those that have faith in him and have trusted him as their personal savior, hey, we're out of here. Amen. So, they thought they were mocking. 
<laughs> no. Nope. And then... Verse 30 bothers me. Bad enough they did all that they did. But then they spit upon him. That bothers me. Here is the Lamb of God. The only one that could take away the sin of the world. He was innocent. But he was declared guilty. And let me just back up and say this. Josephus was a Jewish historian. And if you'll read any of his writings, he spoke about how the Romans used to crucify. That was their method. But they used crucifixion only on those that were truly guilty of hyenas crimes. And the, Josephus said that literally the road to Jerusalem would be lined up with people on the cross through crucifixion. And it was as a reminder that they, they didn't put up with criminals. And our blessed Savior, was treated as a criminal for our sakes. But he was spit upon. I, <laughs> this is what gets me. <laughs> Jesus could have called down heaven. Jesus said, no, I'll take the crown of thorns. I'll take the mockery. Mockery. I'll take the abuse, scourging. No, you're not going to spit on me. After all, I made you. But you know what? Jesus took it for our sakes talking about love and that's the only way you can describe it that's the only definition that there is he loved us but they spit upon him and then notice what verse 30 says and they took the reed and smote him on the head now it's bad enough he's got the crown of thorns now they're taking that reed and believe me they didn't just tap but no, no, they were literally by force just swinging that reed. And of course, the, every time they hit that crown of thorns, the deeper those thorns would go into our Savior. So read this passage. And I read about the crucifix and all that Jesus suffered I put myself as a Roman because it was because of my sins 
he was there suffering. And at the time, as a lost person that didn't know Jesus as my personal Savior, I was his enemy. And he was my enemy. I placed the crown of thorns on his head. I took the reed. I spit upon him. I mocked him. It was me. But it wasn't just me. It was you and the whole world. Everybody wants to blame the Jews for it. No, it was our sins that placed him on the cross. Our sins. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him. Notice again. <laughs> there they rip it off of him again. Flesh tearing. And then they place his robe back on him. And notice what it said. And put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, understand something. Again, the Romans thought they were in control of this situation. But what they didn't realize was Scripture was being fulfilled. Everything was going as God had planned. Turn to John chapter 19 just for a second. John 19. John 19. John 19, verse 23. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seeing. Woven from the top throughout. Verse 24. And they said therefore among themselves. Let us not rend it. But cast lots for it. Whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Which saith. They parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture. They did cast lots. These things therefore. The soldiers did. They were fulfilling scripture. It must be done. And thanks to the Lord it was done. On our behalf. Now, the Bible says, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by the name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Now understand, after they were done with the humiliation, after they were done with the scorn and the mocking, they come out and they find a man called Simon that was serene. In other words, he was from Libya. Back then the capital was serene of Libya, back then. But Mark tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And understand the reason that they had to get someone, compel him to carry the cross for the Lord was 
Understand, Jesus, the human side of him was just like me and you. You know, he, he hungered, he thirsted, he got tired. And after the loss of blood, after the beatings that he took, he was weak. So he couldn't carry that cross to Calvary. So they compelled Simon to carry it. And I believe with all my heart, and I won't too spiritualize this, but I believe with all my heart when Simon saw Jesus and saw the shape he was in. He knew that he was Christ, the Savior. And I believe even though they compelled him, and if you've watched movies, you know, you'll see the part of Simon where he's like, get over here, we're going to beat you. We're going to, that's Hollywood, folk. He was compelled. I don't believe they had to force him. I believe he totally surrendered to carry that for the Savior. And beloved, neither should you and me be compelled. We should automatically want to come to Jesus. Automatically. But the old devil's going to try to hinder you this morning. You're going to try to tell, oh, you've got plenty of time. Or don't believe that story. It's just a story made up by man. Listen to me. Jesus is real. Jesus did die on the cross. But praise God. He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay dead. They thought he was dead. When they buried him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, they thought, well, he won't bother us no more. Guess what? He came out of the tomb on the third day. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Listen, he's alive, and because he's alive, he guarantees eternal life to all of us if we'll come. Praise the Lord. Understand. Simon bore the cross for him till he got to Calvary. And I believe with all my heart, you can't look at Jesus as a Savior and the Christ and not be changed. And because he was changed, it affected his family. How do I know? Because they became believers. Mark recognized them as believers. And again, you think that was by accident? Nope. It's not by accident you're hearing the gospel this morning. You see, every one of us have the opportunity to receive Christ. Every one of us. But listen to me. One day, it'll be too late. You draw your last breath in death, it's done. Don't depend on a second chance. 
don't depend on, oh, purgatory. It'll weigh my sins. If I wasn't too bad, they'll let me in. No, no, no. Listen, you make your choice. You make your decision right here and right now. I pray everybody here has decided for Christ. And I pray all of us are grateful and thankful for the ultimate sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. Oh, they thought, that multitude just thought, ah, oh, we're going to really make fun of him. We're going to spit upon him. We're going to cause him more harm and humiliation. No. Even though he bore it and suffered it, what they didn't realize was the things that he went through by the Romans was pointing to that cross on that hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago. What a Savior. In close, brother and sister, brother had been sick for a couple months and had gotten a transfusion. And he got better. And in fact, he overcame his illness, but his sister came down with the same illness. Well, parents took the brother and sister to the doctor, and the doctor said, yep, she's got the same thing. She's going to need a blood transfusion. And parents said, well, where do we get one? Well, you don't have to look very far. Your son can give her one. And little boy kind of looked up at the doctor, kind of lips quivering, and the doctor said, Son, would you be willing to give your sister your blood? He stopped for a second. And again, you could tell he was really thinking about it. Son, I need an answer. It's the only way your sister's going to get well. Yes, she's my sister. I'll give her a trans. I'll give her my blood for the transfusion. So he sticks a needle in his arm. He's watching the blood go through the tube to his sister. After a few minutes, he looks up at the doctor and he says, Doctor, when am I going to die? The doctor looked at him and said, Son, you're not going to die. But... Your blood is what's going to save your sister. Beloved, you and I, as sinners, are sicker than anybody could ever be. And we are in need of transfusion. But not just blood from one another, but we need the precious blood of Christ. And if we allow his blood to flow in us and through us, we receive forgiveness, freedom from guilt, and eternal life. I pray everybody's had a transfusion. But if not, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, But now, today, 
if you hear his voice. Harden not your heart. Come to him in faith. Ask him to be your savior and to forgive you of your sins, and he will. And he will save you, as the word tells us, to the uttermost. Amen. What a savior and what a salvation. Stand with me, please, and please bow your heads. Father, that's the message. I thank you for the opportunity to share it this morning. And Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for all that you did for me and for the world. Father, I don't know, again, the spiritual condition of those that I'm standing before, but if there's a need, may your Holy Spirit have his way this morning. And Lord, I just want to thank you personally for my salvation and the assurance of my salvation. And Father, I pray everybody here is able to thank you for their salvation and assurance. But deal with hearts. And may we never forget the price that was paid to atone for our sins and redeem us out of the slave market of sin. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And you are Lord of lords, King of kings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.